Warning, Tongue and Geek contains heavy spoilers. If you haven't read, watched, or played the content being reviewed this episode, know that we will definitely spoil major plot points. Also, this show isn't for kids. We use words like and and it would take too much time and effort to edit them all out. Please don't tell our moms. Lovely listeners, and welcome to Tongue in Cheer, where two more white guys on the internet... Oh my gosh, I didn't write down my thing and I've completely forgotten my track. It's Christmas time, folks, and I've not prepared for this season. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I know. Of all the shit you have given me for okay. our tongue in free, I do it. You once. can't even come in ready and hot for I, Christmas. I do it once. Okay, this is <laughs> this is our weird in between Christmas episode. Anyway, like last year was the Nightmare Before Christmas, which is like the Halloween Christmas merger, and this one is not even technically a Christmas technically film. A Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, it's technically an Easter film, Easter but movie. I don't have any interest in doing an Easter celebration. It We're, has it has Santa in it. There's there's snow, so it's Christmas. We're talking about Rise of the Guardians, folks. Rise, Hooray, of, the, Rise yeah. of the Guardians. The 2012 American animated fantasy action adventure film by DreamWorks. Fun fact, it was the first major American animated film directed by an African-American, Peter Ramsey. Starring Chris Pratt, Pine, Alec Baldwin, Jude Law. Pratt. I almost said Pratt. I almost <laughs> did. Hugh Jackman. Big all-star cast uh, and based on the book series The Guardians of Childhood by William Joyce. Tyler, aside yes. from that, do you want to give us any background on this one? I do. I want to give you the background that um, I have seen this movie exactly twice now. Once. <laughs> around the time when it first came out, I guess, on streaming. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the other day in prep for this, I completely fucking forgot that a large majority of this movie's narrative is about fucking teeth. It's <laughs> so much teeth. It's all teeth oriented. And I'm like, what the hell? This movie's so fucking weird. Yeah. So let's let's maybe break down some of the general ideas here before we get into <laughs> teeth. Uh, teeth. Just teeth. Basically, the premise is all the various uh, mythological figures, you know, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, the Sandman, they are all guardians of childhood, each of them representing a different element of childhood. Uh, Santa being uh, wonder, the Easter Bunny being hope, Sandman being dreams, and the Tooth Fairy being memories, which are apparently stored in our teeth for some reason. (laughs) So (laughs) Um, Jack Frost, who... Okay, let's just... (laughs) let's just jump right into this movie is odd for a lot of reasons and i think one of the biggest ones is that there's a lot of lore so much lore that's hinted at and never fully elaborated on not to the detriment of the story no 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 just like it's really lore dense. It, it makes you it makes you wonder a lot. Like like I need to know all this extra shit, but like the movie's not giving it to me. But I want to know. Like it's all fascinating, but I need more. So apparently, the man in the moon 
is God or something. <laughs> like some kind of pagan god <laughs> some kind of god that like sees people who do who basically represent some element for santa claus it was uh hope uh for the easter bunny it was or no sorry santa was wonder the easter bunny's hope which i'm still confused how the easter bunny became an, a guardian what did a rabbit do like a regular rabbit do to embody hope well enough to become one of the guardians <laughs> what, the, what the, yeah what the, what's a good fucking point <laughs> like cause like the, at, towards the end of the movie they revert back to like their weakened forms and he's just a regular rabbit he can still talk but like what did a regular rabbit do to embody hope <laughs> He just kind of does. We could could theorize later, I guess, but yeah, that's that's a good point. Jack Frost, who we all know is basically like a winter spirit, he is not one of the Guardians, but for some reason he was also chosen. Apparently the Man of the Moon first makes these people into these magical entities and then later decides which of these magical entities will become Guardians. Because they also reference like the Leprechaun and the Groundhog from Groundhog Day. Groundhog, yeah. It's like the Man of the Moon is just making minor deities left and right and then later being like, okay, now you have to protect children. Go for it. What a weird and unknowable god this fucking <laughs> celestial being of the man on the moon is it really is um so anyway the big enemy of the guardians is the boogeyman uh also called bit pitch black uh voiced by jude law which i don't know if it's ever explained if the boogeyman was a creation of the man in the moon or if he's the like the devil to the moon or something yeah well i mean he he, he has an underworld so like there's the juxtaposition of the man in the moon up high and and the boogeyman below. Yeah, so he, he's basically a the quasi god devil dichotomy there. Yeah, um, he's basically the embodiment of fear and nightmares. Um, his whole thing is that whereas the other ones are protecting children and giving them hope and fun and uh, their memories of childhood, uh, the boogeyman is trying to make things terrible for everyone. Apparently, the guardians killed him. Slash imprisoned him back yeah. in the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. Don't really explain what exactly they did to him, but they got rid of him for a while. But he comes back here, and his whole plan is to turn the Sandman's magical dreams, which is really cool. It's all like sand particles flying through the air, taking the forms of like unicorns and dolphins and dinosaurs, and just they like float over the city as children dream. But he's corrupting them into nightmares, which are literal horses, like evil demonic horses that he uses to basically spread terror throughout the entire world. And the Guardians have to stop him, and the Man in the Moon tells them, hey, Jack Frost is gonna be one of you guys now. But Jack Frost is like, I don't want to be one of you guys. You guys are stuffy old birds, and I don't give a shit about kids. I just like hanging out and having fun. And throughout the movie, he has to learn how to take responsibility for himself, but also keep on holding on to that spirit of fun in himself. So... That's the and finding out who he is and yeah yada, yada, yada typical kind of arc for this kind yeah he doesn't remember who, his origins all the rest of them do which I don't know why the man in the moon stole his memories in that one that, I was thank you for yeah I was gonna <laughs> say like did I miss something in this children's narrative where <laughs> we know why he didn't have his memory but apparently I didn't oh, and is that's like a big question a lot of people have like why the <laughs> fuck did the man in the moon not just like give him his memories or tell him or something I I guess maybe because he 
died, he lost his memories of his life. Maybe the others didn't die. Maybe they just like were elevated during their lives. God, there's so much to unpack in this movie because like there's so many layers. Like this could all like this could all be broken down into like the just like a commentary on like like religion and and, and the deification of things. Absolutely, and, like, <laughs> like, the, uh, the, like the cruel hand of a god that just moves people around like chess pieces. Like, <laughs> there's there's nothing to justify Jack losing his memory for 300 years. No, because. Spoilers. Um, he he only knew himself as Jack Frost, like the the, the entity, his whole life through the fucking teeth plot. <laughs> he figures out that when he was a human, he was um out skating on a frozen pond with his little sister, and the ice started to crack, and he saves her life, and um he loses his in turn because he falls through the ice and either freezes to death or drowns or both, and that is when he becomes a guardian. So like. Why why torture him for that long with him not knowing who he is? Well, Tyler, the man in the moon works in mysterious ways. God damn it. Fuck the man on the moon. He's a shit. You agree with Pitch Black? You're with Pitch Black? I, honestly, like, Erica and I both agree with Pitch Black. I mean, and, and not in like an edgy, like, oh, the villain has a point kind of way, but in like a, doesn't he kind of have a, like, like really like a genuine point? Because don't children need fear? Don't children, aren't nightmares, like, natural, you know? Because, like, all of these other guardians embody, like, this, these nebulous human concepts, like hope and wonder and, and memory and all that. Shouldn't Pitch be a part of the team or at least, like, some kind of, you know, somebody that they work with or can operate on his own without stepping out of line? No, I think, you know? <laughs> I think we... <laughs> You're looking at this as, like, people have to deal with fear. And I think it's more like people have to deal with fear in this universe because Pitch Black exists. Pitch Black is basically the devil who embodies all that is fear. The only reason there is fear in the first place is because of Pitch Black. Whereas the yeah, rest of them are giving him, like, they, they're ways of resisting fear. With Santa, it's like the wonder, seeing all the beauty and the lots and the joyfulness of, like, Christmas time. With the Easter Bunny, it's literally hope, like the hope of new beginnings, the hope of new starts. Uh, there's the memories of the Tooth Fairy of, you know, having all of these memories of our good times that we had, the important emotional moments for us. Looking at it as, like, oh, kids need fear, is like, no, it's more like in this world he is, he is the thing that the Guardians are against. He's the antithesis of what the Guardians are. The Guardians are there to help kids deal with fear. Yeah, I, I guess you have a point there. Um, if you're wanting to get into a larger, like, <laughs> philosophical debate of the utili like the utilization of fear and the need for it, I think that's like a bigger discussion maybe than this yeah, film is going for. And, and, and the movie lampshades it because, of course, like, Pitch, like, he doesn't just want to be like, oh, you know, like, a little fear does people good. He, of course, he wants to, like, corrupt. Oh, yeah. And sp spread the fear and nothing more. And yeah, yeah. He wants but the others like, dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, at the same time, I'm like, but he serves a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, there, there's an argument. How do people grow and mature without fear and <laughs> deal with it? I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting like dude film bro about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it, I it mean, is, we're getting into the nerd ethics. <laughs>
Uh, jumping right out of Halloween, I figured you'd have some hot takes on Pitch Black. I think this movie's a little, <laughs> for as much lore and stuff that it throws in, I think it's a little more black and white than what you're pushing here. It's yeah, a little and, more and a good versus I think that's my problem, to be, to be honest. You want it to be more complex with, there's, <laughs> yes. a, there's a good in this fear, there's a good in the pain. Yes, I do. Like, just because it's a family film doesn't mean it can't have nuanced you know the themes i think it does i just don't think it does it it does at points yes um it's just not endorsing fear in particular yeah yeah, it's it's just like scare your kids children frighten your children (laughs) (laughs) um i'm just i'm just gonna bear the lead here i don't know how much i like this movie to be honest really i find it fascinating but i don't know if i like it I it's, I it's like weird. it, but I do think I like it more from like the intellectual side than the emotional side because it is yeah. it's got so much to think about and like all this lore and all the ways that like these characters represent different aspects of like the human condition. But I I do agree also that like it, the story itself it basically boils down to the generic I'm an amnesiac I don't really know my place in the world but then along the way I found out that I really am a hero even though I didn't think I was so it's kind of a generic hero's journey there in that regard but in terms of like all the stuff in the world building yeah it's fascinating the the best thing I can say about it is that it really wanted me to dive into the actual origins of a lot of these figures Mm -hmm. because on the face of it it's like Okay, I understand why Santa Claus would be here. I understand why, you know, the Tooth Fairy and stuff. But I'm like, Easter Bunny. And then I realized, like, I never really knew what the fuck the deal of the Easter Bunny was. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did that come about? What's cool about this movie is that it, not overtly, but it fully embraces the pagan origins of all, a lot of these figures. Mm-hmm. Christmas, you know, pagan origins. So does Easter. That's where the Easter Bunny comes from. He, he's not... He he was appropriated by the the commercialism and Christianity aspect. Yeah, he's he's not Christian. He's Australian, obviously. Yes, he's, <laughs> he's not Christian. He's and Santa Claus, who's called Nicholas Saint North in this, they have different yeah, names. North, yeah. I'm, I'm actually North. looking at the cast list. Easter's full Easter Bunny's full name is E Aster Bunnymond. Like Bunnymond. <laughs> like why? <laughs> um, and I looked up the Tooth Fairy, and um, apparently her design. I should have took like actual I, physical notes. I forgot to take um, notes on this one too. It's a Canari or something, though. I yeah, looked it up too. Um, is Canari Japanese mythology? Uh, or it's like Buddhist, I think, or maybe it's like somewhere okay. between Hindu and Buddhism. Maybe a bit of both. Okay, there's there's a little part where um there's a mouse and she's like oh that's from our european division and like i looked it up and in places like spain and other european countries the tooth fairy is embodied by by a rodent so there's a lot of like really they did their homework yeah like, absolutely or why mm-hmm. um and i looked into jack frost as a mythological figure um he has roots in norse mythology because norse mythology is fucking metal yeah um <laughs> his, his powers of you know frosting things over and stuff like that he was known for, you know, frosting windows with, like, the intricate, like, you know, like, leafy sort of patterns and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And he does that in the movie. Yeah. And that's just, like, a visual thing. But that's, like, from the actual lore of, of the figure. So, they, they really did their homework, which I appreciate. Yeah. It's, it's everything around the movie that I like. And not the actual straightforward stories. Apparently, much. the book series this is based on by Joyce goes into the 
origins of each of these figures and isn't based in like the real current time. Like this movie is basically a sequel to all of these characters origin stories that play out in the book. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because he did. He basically was like, I don't want to just recreate the book series and then have people say, oh, the books were better or whatever. I want to make like a new story here, but something that people can still jump in on. That's cool. Also pretty sad. It was dedicated to his um, daughter who he created the book series for, but she died, I think, before the film came out. Oh, man, that's fucking bummer. It is a bummer. (laughs) Jesus. Uh, Well, um... To liven things up for this Christmas episode. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, I, I want to honor Erica, mm-hmm. who is not on this episode. Um, she was watching it with me. There is a running gag in this film that fucking slayed her. And I think it's the funniest gag in the movie, too. North, a.k.a. Santa, has yetis. Yes. And elves. Yes. And there's this part where they're walking through his workshop, and there's yetis... Uh, one yeti painting something. <laughs> yes. <red>. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, oh, no, that's too whatever. Painted blue. And the yeti's just like, yeah. And then, like, he looks at the pile of things and he's just angry. Yeah. He he's painted like them. dozens of them already. <laughs> and then later on, they're in the Easter world. And I guess it's the same yeti and he's painting things red. Okay, no, he was painting things blue first, and then he's painting things red in the um, Easter world. And yeah. the Easter Bunny walks by, and he's like, red, that's too Christmassy. Paint them blue. And he's like, Ugh! It's <laughs> like dozens of Easter eggs. Yeah. I also love that the Christmas elves are just there. Like, apparently the yeah. Yetis do all the work, but they keep the elves around just not to hurt their feelings. <laughs> yeah. The, the elves are, I think, comic relief, diminutive characters done right. Yeah. Um, they're not too distracting. I love their design, which mm-hmm. character design is another contentious aspect I have with this movie. Um, I really? like how they're just, like, little creatures just in a, in, in, in a hat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their, their, their outfits are just the, 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 like the Santa Claus. Tiny little hat little, goblins, yeah. Yeah, they're just <laughs> little Doritos walking around. <laughs> what what uh, character designs you got problems with? I don't like most of the character designs. Really? Yes. Which ones in particular? I don't know if it's because, and I'm not saying it's a poorly animated film, not at all, but it's it's kind of on that cusp of CGI animation where, like, it's between, like, the older and the newer, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of getting into that uncanny look to it, which, unfortunately, is just how things age from that period mm-hmm. with CGI animation. A lot of it's just me being petty. But I don't like the design of Jack Frost because he just looks like Joffrey from Game of Thrones, and I cannot <laughs> you, take him. See, I, you I don't just like, want to smack him in the fucking face you don't, the entire movie. You don't like everybody's favorite Twinkie ice boy. Everyone's I favorite don't, ice twink. Do not get me started on the internet thirst fest <laughs> for Jack Frost in this movie, please. Oh I don't want to go down. God, that road. Tyler, hot, um, hot, hot takes on this cold, cold winter's night. Me, I know, and I feel bad for saying that he reminds me of Joffrey. And then I want to punch him in the face because the poor, the poor actor. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Chris Pine. No, no, the actor who played Joffrey. Oh, Chris Pine. <laughs> yes, Chris Pine. <laughs> Joffrey in the Game of Thrones. He, he was getting real like, method in that one. His embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy did nothing wrong. People hate him, yeah. but he just Jack Frost in this movie reminds me of Joffrey and I'm just like I, I kind of want to smash your face in I'm so, <laughs> so I, and I don't like the Easter Bunny's design at all really 
I you don't just, like his proportions are weird. You don't like I don't fur like daddy. Name. You don't like fur daddy Easter Bunny. He, you know what he looks like? He looks like the ch- the hunter, the cheetah named Hunter in the Spyro games. Oh, he kind of does pre remaster. Uh, so I'm just like I see. <laughs> he's got bunny in this movie, and it's just Hunter, but with like gray fur and ears. He's got like that bunny ears. big barrel chest for a rabbit, which is weird. Yeah, he's just like lanky but thick in odd ways, and I just he's don't like, jacked. Like, he's he's a big buff dude, but like I just he's buff. not pleasure. He's not he's not aesthetically pleasing. I think there's I also honestly, a corner of the internet that would disagree with you there as well. I think most well, of the they inter- can they can have whatever fucking <laughs> jack off material they want. I don't need to have it. Um, Honestly, I think he should have been his cute, fuzzy version the entire movie. Mm. Um, Just with that same voice, though. Santa, no problems with him. I love Santa. Anytime there's a badass, burly Santa, I'm here for it. He's got naughty and nice tattooed on his forearms. I love (laughs) that. Which which shouldn't be funny because it's such an (laughs) obvious joke, but it works. He's he's Russian. (laughs) He's got the deep Russian accent. And like he's wearing the black with the red instead of the white, which is really cool. It looks yeah, good. I'm, I'm a sucker for alternative Santa characterizations. Mm-hmm. So he's easily my favorite part of the movie mm-hmm. because like he's cool because he's not like ultra serious and he's not like ultra jolly. He's just kind of like this. He's just kind of. Well, I'd, I'd say would, I'd say he is jolly, but it's a very different kind of different jolly. kind of. It's jolly. like a jolly yeah. warrior almost. Yeah, he's like your cool uncle yeah. like kind of jolly <laughs> he's 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 like more modern comics thor jolly he, than... he, he's a little bit of an asshole too because he's like constantly picking jobs at the easter bunny being like ah easter's not christmas my friend <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like they have like a big competition at one point to like gather up as many teeth as possible because the tooth fairy's helpers get kidnapped and he he makes a big competition deal out of it. he's like look at this i win <laughs> he's like he's a little bit of a <laughs> jerk and it works because it's like charming to see him just be like over the top like boisterous about everything i really like santa in this yeah he he, he it's a very good santa rendition mm-hmm. i will give the movie that i don't have a problem at all with uh, tooth fairy's design i think she looks nice pitch is fine pitch sandman um and this might be a hang-up of mine but Something about his character design. For one, he looks like a cookie. You know those cookies <laughs> that come in those those tin cans that have like the just the, the kind of designs kind of carved into them, like like the waves and yes, the yes, I know what you're talking about. He he looks like that cookie. I like it. He's like he's made of <laughs> sand. He looks like he's like a bunch of sand particles like that's fine, together. He kind of look he he looks like a villain to me. Really? Like, maybe, yes. Like. Maybe it's because, like, villains in animated films like this are often, like, coded as, like, small, you know, a little bit rotund. Maybe that's a hang-up of mine. I think it is. I think you're revealing maybe (laughs) a little bit about yourself. I think he's cute, but he's also, like, the most badass member of the team. Oh, he's he's cool. I I love love that he's a nonverbal character, and I love that he communicates through his own language with his sand with like symbols and stuff that's awesome Mm -hmm. i love that and he whips ass like he has these big sand whips that he uses to fight with and he creates all these different creatures and stuff out of sand that he can like ride around on he's he's badass i love the sand man um are there any other character design aspects pitch is probably the one that i would say i have the biggest problem with just because 
all the you say pitch yeah because all the others i think even if they're a little off they're at least like unique and different like making you you didn't like the easter bunny but like i kind of like the fact that they turned him into a huge almost kangaroo like man who uses a boomerang for some reason why is he australian (laughs) because he because they cast Hugh jack i know but like it's it's just kind of fun and funny and different but like pitch is just this sort of generic dark figure with just like a sharp face there's not really much to, to him, him yeah. he's almost under designed compared to everybody else which i guess is yeah. maybe the point he's supposed to be sort of their antithesis and maybe there's like some message about fear being a void or an absence rather than something so detailed but like i don't know it's called he, visual storytelling Isaac. yeah <laughs> but he's just like i don't know it's just it doesn't work oh, there, there it is, is. good lord how many more of those you got in you? Oh, well, I'm going to get up and get my second beer soon. Um, so, probably a couple. I am drinking Virginia beer, Evil Santa um, milk stout, which is, it's okay. It's got a bit too much of a bitter aftertaste for me, but it's a it's a drinkable milk stout uh, for any beer enthusiasts who might be in the audience. Well, there you Back go. Back to the film. Back to the film. <laughs> uh, what else besides character design do we want to talk about? Or unless there was others. Um... This is more of, like, a conversation about, like, CGI animation in general than, than the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a pro and a con. Uh, the film is very energetic visually. The mm-hmm. action scenes are fantastically composed. Yes. Very um, easy to follow while also being very fast-paced. I agree. Anytime Jack Frost is just flitting around doing his thing, like, visually dynamic, great. Love mm-hmm. it. But, like, I, I miss animation. And this is probably more of a western animation problem than animation in general but i i kind of miss when animation could just like be be quiet and Mm. you know be a little still and take its time this is one of those movies where it's like it has quiet moments to be fair it has smaller moments to be fair but this is one of those animated movies that's like just quick 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 things are always happening the camera's always moving yeah and it's just kind of like like and it Mm. <laughs> I, and, I, I I can see that you know, as a general sort of critique of animated films, but I don't think it's fair to maybe attribute it to this film because that's not what this film is. This film is an, an action adventure film. Yeah. That's specifically yes. like it's supposed to be high energy throughout most of it. Like anytime it slows down is to focus on, you know, character the development character moments. moments. So. I think yeah that that's why I qualified it as like this this is more of like a problem I have with you know newer western animation in general than this movie in particular but I I think I was in like a bit of a pissy mood when I watched this to be honest so I'm just kind of like I'm kind of nitpicking Tyler (laughs) do you know how hard I have to pull the sleigh through the snow every year to drag your ass into Christmas cheer I have to drag you through the snow I've got the sleigh bells ringing around my neck and you're just lying there digging your fists into the snow as I try to pull you into the Christmas spirit it's it's not gonna happen. God I'm gonna it. be the happiest. God damn it! This this season when we talk about I don't care about spoiling future episodes. <laughs> when we talk about the anti Christmas movie that you're gifting me, this tongue in cheer with Batman Returns, I will be the happiest. I, I, I purposefully do that so that you have a nice build up to that moment. So and just as you said in our one of our past episodes, in, in I think it was our last episode of Duncan Freak, where you're not. You're not all holly jolly. 
you do like darker elements. I also, I myself am not all dour, grim, gross. I, I also like feeling good. I like happy things. I mean, I like Arthur, uh, Arthur Christmas. That's going to be one of our episodes. That is. And that also has the same snippy snappy kind of animation style. I think it does it better than this movie does, but I think that's we'll fair. get to that when we watch Arthur Christmas. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, back to this wanna film. Talk about the, do you want to talk about the teeth? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling you do. So sure. <laughs> let's get into the teeth. <laughs> it's I, I, I don't want to make it like a thing. <laughs> and like, but so much of the, the plot. <laughs> It's about teeth. You know, I didn't even notice until you brought it up. But yeah, there is a startling amount of tooth talk in this film. Like the whole middle section is teeth. And like one of the main protagonists is the tooth fairy. So Mm -hmm. yeah, but like... I'm not, and I'm not saying it's bad. It's just it took me by surprise <laughs> just how so, much tooth talk we, and how much of the story revolves around teeth. We might have said I, this. I dead ass. Like, I, I could not. I just could not. When she said that children's memories are stored in the teeth, that's why, that's why we collect them. I'm like, what the fuck, <laughs> What? They needed a reason to have the tooth fairy, I guess. <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, and I, and, I, and I get what they're going for because putting your tooth under the pillow and stuff like that, like, that's such, like, a childhood thing that pretty much any kid can have, like, mm-hmm. a, a nostalgic connection. I get it. And I think it's kind of cute in its own way, but, like, <laughs> she keeps <laughs> children's teeth and, like, these ornate <laughs> obelisk <laughs> cylinders and <laughs> Just millions and millions of them. To be fair, she's like, to be fair, there are some families who actually do keep people's baby teeth. Like they, don't I know there are. I know it's like an actual thing of like, oh, remember when you were this small? So I think that's kind of what they're going to. One of those people. Yes, I know. Like it is odd that there's such a fixation on the teeth for like the middle section. It's like the second act is yes. all, the tooth fairy who has like a legion of baby tooth fairies that work for her. all of her little baby tooth fairies get kidnapped by pitch and she has to send out the rest of the guardians to go get the teeth and during that we find out that oh memories are stored in the teeth jack you can get your tooth back and get the memories from it just as piss just as piss is stored in the balls and memories is stored in the teeth <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> Uh, just it's one of those it's just one of those things where you've got to say okay yeah magic childhood wonder we're gonna let this one slide I did I did when and the whole fucking time there's this like and she's kind of manic so like throughout the entire movie she's always like in the background just like muttering to herself Mm -hmm. really fast about like different kinds of teeth and where they come from and it makes a good (laughs) point that like she's the busiest of them because unlike the others she doesn't work like one day a year kids are always losing teeth all year all over everywhere they're losing teeth and she shows that little girl who's the boo stand in like look at this look at these teeth that got blood and gum on them <laughs> the little girl's like Wee. she's like fascinated with the- I think it's cute and funny as weird as it is I think the tooth fairy is cute and funny with her fascination with teeth she's probably my second favorite character after Santa mm-hmm. so. just because she's a fucking weirdo <laughs> she is she's so enthusiastic about it too she's like oh just look at this incisor it's so cute <laughs> And I don't know what it is about 
whatever realm she resides in. But not only does she show some thirst for Jack Frost, but all the little baby teeth fairies yeah. show thirst for Jack it's Frost. It's because of his pure watt teeth. <laughs> his watt is snow teeth. They're all just into it. Literally, when they first meet, I think she actually grabs his mouth and opens it she for does. a second. And looks in there and it's like, are they really as watt as snow? Like, there's a little bit of... <laughs> Oh, oh God! What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> it's great, is what it is. Um, let's dig into a bit of the idea of guardians as representations of a specific idea. Uh, I want to start with Santa because I really love what this movie does. Usually, with other depictions of Santa, they focus on generosity as like his core trait like the idea Mm -hmm. of giving you know the spirit of giving and that's good that's great it's a great thing to have and it's a good message but having santa claus embody wonder i think does something that sort of brings a little bit of it, it kind of counteracts the sort of cynicism towards christmas that i think there is in that a lot of what we see today in christmas is this consumerism, this buy, 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 buy. Oh, look at all the fancy stuff. Look at all this and that. You got to have a fancy tree. And with Santa, it's not, oh, you've got to have the most expensive toy or, oh, you've got to have the most lit up lots in this neighborhood. It's more like the wonder of seeing the lots, the wonder of finding a gift under the tree wrapped with a bow. It turns this idea of it's all just flash and no substance into the flash has substance the spectacle is the point and it's not something that we should just condemn because it is spectacle like the spectacle of christmas it has its own value that's a good way to put it yeah i did i didn't think about it too deeply when i watched it but um yeah that that is, that is a good way to tackle sort of what santa represents because in a lot of other movies santa's just like just kind of the stand in for you know like generosity or selflessness mm-hmm. or something like that. But if you if you want to make him like a character with his own outlook and his own agency and stuff like that, what is Christmas to kids? Like it's 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 this wide eyed wonder. Yeah. You know, at the world of snow and sledding and sitting by the fireplace, you know, all that like iconic stuff, you know, bri- that everybody associates with Christmas. A bright flashing lights and mm-hmm. all the colors. It's not. It's not the presence. It's 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 a community coming together to celebrate something. The visual representation of that. It's creating this sense of like joy in a moment, especially in like the darkest time of the year. Taking the time to make things festive and bright and joyful that this movie like sort of homes in on, and it doesn't do it for long. But I think it's a really cool idea that they present. It is, yeah. I have to agree. And with that, I have to put the kibosh on this good flow and go grab another beer real quick. I will be right back. Okay. Okay, Tyler's getting a beer because he can't handle this one sober. I lied. I mean, I didn't lie. I went to go get another beer. But I had to uh, grab myself a Coke because I started feeling some Christmas beer with our conversation just now and I couldn't allow that to happen. (laughs) You bitch. (laughs) Let it flow, you mad bastard. I've worked so hard to get any inkling of joy out of you. It's like wringing out a dry rag. I'm just trying to get any moisture out. (laughs) Merry Christmas, asshole. And a happy new year. Okay. Okay. Uh, So Santa, really like him. 
Uh, what about the yes. others and what they embody? I, I think I like conceptually. I like the idea of the Easter Bunny representing hope, but I don't feel like he does that in this film. Like he's kind of a yeah. he's kind of a jerk, especially towards Jack. And like he he definitely yeah. doesn't have any hope or faith in Jack. He's kind of like the most resistant to Jack joining the crew until we get the moment where he explicitly says Easter's about hope. I I don't feel that off of him. Yeah, it's kind of just like um, we need him to kind of represent something here, so he'll, he'll be that. And I guess you can make it connect in that it's about spring, it's about renewal, it's about rebirth, it's about new starts. So you know, hope, right? You know, from the beginnings and yeah. whatnot. But and I'm behind that, but I don't think the it, character it, works with it. Yeah, the character himself doesn't really embody any of that. Well, maybe. You could kind of twist it in that his slow embrace of Jack, you know, is, is kind of the hope. In this kind of group dynamic in, in the narrative, you have to have the person who's opposed to the outsider. Yeah. Or whatever, and then they have to embrace the outsider. So, uh, I, I guess maybe you can say that him embracing Jack is him finding the hope in this new person who's joining the Guardians. Hope by the end. Sort of an ironic yeah. sort of the one who's supposed to be hope becomes hope throughout the movie. Yeah, he's he's kind of even though he represents hope, he's kind of the most like yeah, shit's shit's bad. I don't know if we can do this character. So, I guess maybe he's supposed to embody hope because he doesn't have as much as everybody else. <laughs> it's it's weird. It, yeah. Um with Santa you can see the wonder, like you see the way that he acts is filled with wonder, this sort of, like, joyfulness, even in, like, combat and whatnot. You know, he's <laughs> he's got two big scimitars he's so, swinging around. Yeah. <laughs> he's riding around on the sleigh in midair, just slicing up these nightmares. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of sort of half-ass. Because it's, it's only a 95-minute movie or whatever, mm-hmm. and there's, like, half a dozen central characters. So it's, it's kind of hard to give everybody a clear sort of... Jack find purpose or arc, but Jack and Santa work the best because Jack is by the end of the movie, it's revealed that he embodies fun. And of course he does. He was like a snow day, uh, like in the very beginning of the movie, we see him having a bunch of kids start up a snow day with a snowball fight. And he ends up like taking one through the city on a sled, basically creating an ice path for him as he goes nearly kills the kid. (laughs) His works and Santa's works, but the other's. I don't know. Sandman literally represents dreams, so it's like, yeah, of course he does. That's what his powers are, so of course. And we never get yeah. a dialogue from him, so we can't really get too much of his inner thoughts on what dreams are supposed to do for kids. We just kind of see that. And of course, memories are stored in the teeth, so... <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. That's never not gonna be like, why was this such a big part of um Um, what was i gonna say but i was gonna say something about jack i do like the fact that the guardians are you know they take pride in the fact that they're guardians and that they protect children it's all about children yeah but at the same time they don't know dick about kids they're they're detached they're too they're too into their duty that they've forgotten what yeah. it actually means to connect to kids. And they literally say that at one point. Santa's like, yeah, we don't have time. We're, we're too, too busy, busy protecting like, the children. We don't kids. have time don't for have children. Time for <laughs> and, and Jack, who's been this loner this whole time, you know, he's the, even though nobody can see him, 
he he's the only one that understands kids because you know you know he he's the prankster he's the fooler he's the jester so mm-hmm. you know he understands kids innately i think that was a that was a fun dynamic that the movie had as well Let, let's talk um, let's talk about that one bit you just mentioned how the kids can't see jack apparently there's various different mythical figures out there, like Jack and the Leprechaun and whatnot. The Man in the Moon just makes willy-nilly. But the only ones the kids can actually see are the Guardians themselves. Which I think is this very weird and complex take on faith and the idea of belief in something. Like, belief manifesting. I'm not entirely sure what the movie's trying to get across with it. Yeah... Now that you mentioned it, it is kind of weird because so much, so much of Jack's character arc is based around the fact that kids can't see him, nobody can see him, and they don't, quote, believe in him. Mm-hmm. But, like, he's still, like, known, like, as this idea. Yeah. So, there's number there's two. Another, okay. Uh, <laughs> you get one more. <laughs> I mean, if... You, the movie does establish that he's known as, like, an idea. Mm-hmm. So, why wouldn't people and children believe in him? Right. Because, you know, oh, Jack Frost, there he is nipping at your nose, there he is frosting your windows, there he is blowing the snow in, freezing the pipes, you know, like, it, it's... The whole, like, nobody sees me thing just kind of felt like an added layer to his arc that didn't need to be... I don't know. I think it's saying something... I don't know if I'm just not getting it or if the film doesn't quite flesh it out enough. Is it the nature of, like, Jack Frost being sort of a negative, you know, thing within, like, people's belief system? Like, because they associate coldness with, I mean, Pitch says it, you know, what goes better together than cold and dark, you know? Which is also a great point. If Jack Frost is the embodiment of all winter weather, he has killed so many people. Like, (laughs) God damn it. <laughs> like, I'm assuming he's only... Jack, the, you murderous bastard. I'm assuming he's only the fun elements of winter, but if he is all of winter, he is, like, a murderous monster. Like, probably way more than Pitch has. Oh, God damn it. Oh, the movie, fall, the movie just completely fell apart. <laughs> like I said, there's so much lore that, like, we need so many more details on to make this work. It's confusing. If any goddamn kids movie of the 2000s needed to be a franchise, it's this one. It's, it really needed, like, so seven more, more films so I could understand what the hell's going on. <laughs> what, what is the man in the moon? <laughs> I, I do like that we never see an actual physical form of the man in the moon. It's just the moon. Yeah. I do like that. They could apparently hear him. The movie yeah. ends with the li- a stupid line from Jack about like, so the next time that the man in moon says something, listen. And it's like, listen, it's like, <laughs> it's like, so you're advocating for people to indulge the in their, fuck does that mean, in their possible mental health issues. <laughs> listen to the moon. Listen, the moon's speaking to you. Listen to the entity that made me a quasi god and didn't tell me that I had a family before I died. Oh, god. <laughs> oh god, this whole movie's about just like the dangerous path that people go down when they have just like unerring faith in a higher being. <laughs> uh, 
fucking man this, this is, movie it's a weird one it's a weird one it's a weird one for just in general but also a weird one to start out our christmas list with yeah and i totally see why it has a huge internet fan base of millennials and gen z because they're all hot they're <laughs> all they're so quote-unquote hot and there is a lot of like weird character shit that you can dig up <laughs> in the movie to make, you know, to make anybody just like online just swoon. There's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of thick potential in this. Like Oh, and and and, and the internet took advantage of it because yeah. I don't know if you remember the 2013-2014 era of the internet where is pretty much just people shipping Elsa yeah. and Jack Frost <laughs> because they're both pretty ass-powered people. So yes. okay. And they're both, you know, ostracized. They both feel invisible. Blah, 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 blah. Who'd win out of the you two think? really hot, pale ice people together? <laughs> who would you, who do you think would win in a fight? Oh, Jesus. Oh, um, hmm. I haven't seen Frozen 2, so I don't know, like, the, the breadth of Elsa's powers as they're probably explored in that one. But, um,. Just because I prefer Frozen, I'm going to say Elsa would kick his ass. I think Elsa's got higher, like a higher output. She freezes like the whole town and the mountainside and everything in like one go. I don't think we ever see Jack do anything of that level. Also, she creates sentient life with snow. Yes. Yes. Although Jack can fly. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is my bias um, because... If we're playing Smash or Pass, I would smash Elsa. I would not smash Jack Frost. So she wins by default. Your loss. (laughs) Smash or Pass is. I would. Smash or Pass is usually just Smash or Smash for me in general. (laughs) I know you are the most easily swayed person when it comes to Smash. Matter of fact, let's just go down the list. Jack Frost, Smash. Okay. Pitch Black, (laughs) eh, I can fix him. Smash. Uh, St. North, oh, Daddy, Smash. Uh, Easter Bunny, eh, I can do it. Smash. Tooth Fairy, Smash. Sandy, Smash. Uh, The rest of the characters are children, so probably not. You know what? I'll pass on the kids. (laughs) Um, Jack Frost, Pass. Easter Bunny, Pass. Santa Smash. Yes. <sighs> Two Fairy Smash. God damn it. Yeah. Get that bird. That, that cloaca. Get that cloaca. Pitch. If Pitch didn't have... If if he didn't have such a wide Cro-Magnon brow. <laughs> he really smash. does have a hefty brow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So I'm a bit more selective <laughs> with this roster of people than you are, but mm. there's some crossover smash for both of us. So that's good, I guess. Da, 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 da. Oh, I wanted to ask you, have you played Sonic Frontiers yet? I have not. I'm probably waiting until Christmas for that one to come in. Wow, I'm surprised you've restrained yourself. I know. It's Christmas time, baby. I hold back as much as I can. I'm replaying God of War You're right edging. now. You're I really am. I've, I've spoiled so much for myself about the game, and it's getting like <laughs> middling reviews, which for a Sonic game is phenomenal. So it's really hard for me to hold back. 
<laughs> oh my god, it's probably amazing. Yeah, it's getting like sevens, Tyler. It's getting sevens, which is like an in like most video games is actually like a five or a four, which for a Sonic game is like an eleven and a half. So like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's just talk about Sonic for a bit. You know what's um, <laughs> you know what's throwing me off? What? About a lot of, like, Sonic games what? that I just realized while watching, you know, trailers and gameplay footage of Frontiers. Yeah. Sonic is such an overly stylized character, I can't buy him in any environment that's even remotely grounded in reality. Yeah, the new game, it is weird. It's got this Shadow of the Colossus mixed with super, <laughs> like future sci-fi. Like they, put- they got like, <laughs> like this they- future sci-fi Shadow of the Colossus and then there's Sonic the Hedgehog running around in it and it's phenomenal. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. I'm like, it just looks like they put Sonic in Shadow of the Colossus and it looks fucking weird. I love it. Tyler, I love it. That's the best. When Sonic transitioned into 3D, they're like, fuck it, he's in the human world world and where they, everybody's like whoa wait what <laughs> they just went weirder and weirder with it and i've loved that this is where we've ended up sonic the hedgehog shadow of the colossus love the concept can't wait to actually play the game come christmas time <laughs> oh can't wait to hear your words oh i'm sure i will have like a little pocket in one of our pods over it probably during our beginning of the year episode i will talk a little bit about that Right now I'm replaying the original God of War for the new one that came out, Ragnarok, because I'm also hoping for that one for Christmas, too. If not, I'm getting okay. getting it with my own Christmas money. <laughs> I love the fact that you're a man in your mid-20s saying, like, I hope I get this for Christmas. Well, it's like, not, I got my own Christmas money. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to ruin oh, Christmas. never change. There's Isaac, people, never change. there are people who love me, who know the things that I want. It's close to the holiday where people get each other gifts. I purposefully avoid buying things this time of year because I know that people are probably going to get me some of the things I want. And if they don't, then I'll take some of the money that somebody will give me for Christmas and then I'll use it towards that. Or if I don't get any money for Christmas, I'll just buy it with my own damn money because I'm a grown ass man and I can do that if I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never change. Is there <laughs> anything else? Uh, the Guardians? <laughs> Guys, it's so weird. Kind of, kind, of, kind of stuck now, to be honest. I don't know, man. I, I I picked this one because it was a weird, different sort of pseudo-holiday one, like we did with uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. The Nightmare Before Christmas was definitely more tied into Christmas than this one is. Oh, easily. Yeah. easily. But, like, yeah, it's just a... It's an odd film i enjoy it part i like a lot of the concepts that this movie throws if not in the fact if not in the quality of its execution then at least in the ambition of its ideas i think it was a very ambitious film i think it does a lot of things well i think it could have done a lot more especially if it had been you know, successful enough to spin off into other sequels and stuff. But as it is, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. It's not the best film with like these holiday characters in it, but it's it's pretty fun. It's got some cool ideas in it. Yeah, I think that's my general takeaway. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty close to mine. Not really great, like how but good enough. Yeah, I really like how ambitious it is. I like that it's successful enough to make me ask all of these questions. I'll have to do my own research into 
real world lore and mythology and all that kind of stuff. So um, it gets points for that. But as a singular experience on its own, I'm just left kind of befuddled by it, to be honest. There's there's a sort of like childish Avengers element to it in like we have yeah, all these different it's a, recognizable you can call it a superhero movie. Yeah, it's a it's a team up superhero film with these recognizable figures that are all thrown together on a team who have to work together. Yes, I mean I wouldn't scoff at anybody labeling it a superhero movie, you know. It's because it it functions as one pretty much completely, to be honest. It's it's a weird relic of the tweens, of the twenty tweens. It's mm-hmm. got a huge following online, which mm-hmm. I which I find fascinating because anything that finds like a a niche audience online, I'm just like, why? And then I look into it and the question and the answer is never as deep as I expect it to be because it's always the same answer, which is people are horny for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. It's also it also suffers from the most generic naming conventions in film, Rise of the Guardians. Rise. Guardian. Yeah. yeah it could be anything. It could be you could literally throw that title on any film. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, I think the book series the book series did we mention that it's called Guardians of Childhood? Yes, that's the name of the book series. Yes. I honestly think they should have called it that. Yeah. I agree. It would have been easier to get the connection. And I think if when people hear Guardians of Childhood, that's a little more of like a, ooh, I want to see what that's about than Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the Guardians is like, oh, man, remember that movie Epic? No. <laughs> oh, my God. Epic. Do you remember Epic? <laughs> I completely forgot about Epic. Exactly. Exactly. It's like every other movie. You just throw some random bullshit words in there and it's like, nobody wants to see this because it's the most generic crap ever. God, there, there's a whole fucking pod series we can do on like C tier 20 tweens, 2010s. I, um, I don't remember s- animated films like Battle for Terra and the Ant Bully and Mars <laughs> Needs Mom. I've heard the I watched the Ant Bully once and I've heard people talk about the Ant Bully as like this big allegory for faith in God. And I'm like. Did I see the same movie or was I just too stupid as a little kid to get it? Like, there's there's weird followings around B and C tier animated films. And I kind of love that, that there are some people who are just I have so noticed. deep yes. in there. Yeah. I remember thinking the Ant Bully was okay. Yeah. I saw it. Thinking it was better than it seemed it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, God, what else? There's uh, Over the Edge. It's always like big name actors in these films, too. This is like an all-star cast, and it's just like, Mm -hmm. it just was middling when it came out. It actually lost money because they spent so much on marketing. Huh. I looked up the box office, and it seemed like it made a decent amount of money. It did. On its budget, I never got a sequel. On its budget of $145 million, it made three hundred and six. But there was like some it, weird. Oh, and then it, it just about broke even then, so yeah. it really wasn't that profitable. Yeah, okay. but it lost an estimated eighty-seven million because of marketing and distribution costs. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's it for this poor, one. Poor Rise of the Guardian didn't <laughs> get the didn't get the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. Didn't get the Kung Fu Panda franchise. Nah, but those films deserved think- it. I even though like I'm half and half on this movie, I think this movie does d- did deserve a sequel or two, just because of how 
fucking dense everything in it is. I would have, um, I would have liked to seen this as a TV series. I think with like more, more time no, spaced I'm, out. I hate everything being a TV series. Well, that, now. it was that's now though. I think back then when this came out, with all the freaking lore in it, I think spreading it out a bit would have. It would have given some more time to actually explore this world building they're setting up. Yeah, I guess. Uh, just in a world where Ice Age had like five theatrical In a world sales. where Ice Age got five <laughs> films. How? In the first one's okay. <laughs> in a world where it seems, this isn't the reality, but in a world where it seems like there's a new Minions movie every six fucking months. <sighs> And I know cracking on minions is so old hat, like, and honestly, like, I don't care that kids love minions. I don't care that kids' parents love minions, yeah. but, like, it's, it's minions, though. It, re- it really is sad that something, <laughs> something like Rise of the Guardians, where despite its flaws, there's a lot of creativity and work and research that went into it. It just doesn't stand a chance against a yellow little blob that goes banana for 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah, just a fucking a sentient yellow tic-tac. Yeah. <laughs> just like, with like... <laughs> and I love button fart jokes, but... <laughs> Uh, there's got to be a limit. <laughs> there's got to be. You got to put some depth in there, man. Put some depth to that fart joke. There it is. And on that one, we're done, I think. Oh. Uh, any final, final things to say about Rise of the Guardians? We've talked about it, but I didn't ask you outright. Is it horny? Is it. Okay, we've had this discussion before. Is it horny, or are people horny for it? Yeah, but at what point. Does that distinction not matter? I think there is a distinction. I think, I think there is, but at what point does it not matter? Because if a fan base of something is so codified, Tyler, in its horniness, the human race can sexualize <laughs> anything. I could, I could post a picture of a rock on my Instagram tomorrow, <laughs> and there would be pictures of it with tits and ass. Like, yeah, I yeah, you 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 you're right. But there's something like there's definitely rule 34 for say Toy Story, but there's not nearly as much rule 34 for Toy Story as which is a movie that has four which is a franchise that has four movies and a bunch of shorts and all that as one movie, which is this one where it made the entire fucking internet horny. So, okay, so that's why I say there's really no focusing <laughs> focusing explicitly on character design. We got Jack Frost. Uh, people talk about how he's a twink. He's just like a guy. Nothing in his outfit is very sexual. He wears a fucking hoodie and pants. The pants are kind of tight. Skinny. They're basically skinny jeans. Okay, but like that's he's not- he's he's like he's like the personification of like 2000s kind of hot boy look, you know. He's got like the um a kind of effeminate facial features. He's got the skinny jeans, he's got the hoodie, he's got the kind of like I'm a cool guy attitude. That I understand. And then you have the whole daddy aspect of Santa. Okay, Santa is a daddy. <laughs> fair. Fair point. <laughs> Easter Bunny is a weird fur daddy. He's also, also kind of a fur daddy. Fur daddy. And then, you, and then you have the tooth fairy who's like... She kind of cinches... I will say the way she moves more than her actual design. Because she kind of like cinches her knees together at a bunch of times. And I don't know if that's 
weird or supposed to like show her flat or something, but there's something odd about it. Like that's definitely like her movements she's got, are. She's kind of got the Pixar mom figure. She kind of does have a bit of a booty back there. <laughs> She's got the thick thighs, even though she's a fucking bird. The sa- Sandman, Sandy, he's a short king. Fine, it's horny. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it the horny stamp of approval. It gets okay. Tug and Geek's stamp of horny. Barely. I think, really, this was one where the internet, for some reason, latched onto it harder than the film itself was trying to project. <laughs> like, there are definitely projects where you see that in it, but in this one, I think it's really yeah. more like something in the character design just got like, people. Like fucking, oh god, like that fucking Scooby-Doo movie. We just oh my god. <laughs> I guess follow up to Tongue and Freak real quick. The new Scooby-Doo <laughs> trick-or-treat movie is wild <laughs> for a lot of reasons, but one of them being that the villain slash addition to the main cast, what was her name? Something Diablo. Coco Diablo or something. Coco Diablo. Yeah. She takes the whole animation budget. <laughs> they put, it's nuts. It's wild. Like, all the other characters are animated how you'd expect for an average Scooby-Doo film. Like, not great, not terrible. They just kind of move around normal. She's got these swaying-ass hips and, like, her hair's flowing around. They put so much work into animating this woman as sexualized as possible. It's fucking nuts. She's so fluid and she just flounces around and there's literally movie and it's like there's literally a scene where she walks in sashays one hip then sashays the other way and sticks her hand basically right over her ass and it's like the most fluid animation <laughs> i've seen in years and i'm like what the fuck were they doing in this yeah, scooby-doo like, film we all collectively had this like what the like why is she so well animated <laughs> she's She's so well animated, it takes you out of the movie. Compared to everything else, yes! If the whole movie was done that well, it'd be one thing, but it's just her! It's- you're stuck between this weird limbo of, like, ooing and aahing over how well done her animation is, but she's stuck in this middling direct-to-streaming-slash-video Scooby-Doo movie where everything is far stiffer and and (laughs) traditionally animated. It's yeah. such the a fact weird. That, the fact that it's done specifically for sex appeal is just wild. <laughs> it really <laughs> In is. In a Scooby-Doo film. Like, it really what? is. She is explicitly meant to confuse burgeoning sexualities. <laughs> There's a, there is a lot in that movie to talk about. You want to just throw, you want to make this a little tongue and cheer, tongue and freak crossover and just talk about the Sure, it's a perfect transition because this isn't technically a Christmas movie. Let's do Um, it. Hold that thought. I really got to take a piss. Okay. I'll be right back. This is just going to be a weird transition into tongue and cheer because I've got to talk about this Scooby film. Okay. I think it's safe to say that when I clicked on Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo, for us to watch when you were hanging out with us the other weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, hey, it's kind of, I guess you could say, trend-setting for the franchise because it explicitly depicts Velma as a gay woman, mm-hmm. or at the very least a bisexual woman, because she is thirsty as ever-loving fuck for Coco Diablo. <laughs> so, this is the Scooby-Doo franchise 
embracing LGBTQ+. Which is cool. Which is, yes, which is cool. And that's why I put, I'm like, hey, this is the one where Velma's crushing on this character. Let's watch it. None of us were prepared. <laughs> no. For the fucking fever dream that this movie was. Okay. It is so weird. General premise of this film all of the Scooby-Doo villains that have ever existed before, it, and this this movie knows it's Scooby-Doo lore. They know these people who made this know Scooby-Doo because they reference all kinds of old villains from the old like shows and everything. Apparently, they all got their costumes from the same person called Coco Diablo, who is the most hypersexualized Scooby-Doo character in existence. <laughs> And She's hot, though. She is hot, though. Um, Coco gets arrested because the Scooby Day gang find her out. And afterwards, they have no mysteries to solve. And they all just get depressed, especially Fred, because this is his whole thing. They're like, we have to have a new mystery. I'm going to go nuts if we don't have a new mystery. And suddenly, of course, new mystery starts up. Everybody starts freaking out, trying to figure out what's going on. They decide to break Coco out of jail so that she can help with the mystery. And it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. <laughs> like, we, we said that this movie, Rise of the Guardians, is weird. And it is. But this movie is weird. It's and a- Scooby-Doo has gotten weird before plenty of times. Yeah. But there's something about this one that's just, it's... It's less than 90 minutes. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. And it just like, it has a story, but not really. And like, there's no actual genuine threat. And it just has these weird kind of modern meta humor asides. And it's just kind of like lulls random. Sometimes to the benefit, sometimes to the detriment of the And movie. Fred's out of his mind. <laughs> Which has also been done before, but like not in this bizarre of a way Fred, <laughs> you know? Fred, like, Fred goes nuts with depression over losing his mysteries to the point where he basically at the end of the film he's literally throwing money into a wishing well by like he's making it rain and he's like I hope we get mysteries for the rest of our lives and he's laughing like a <laughs> lunatic <laughs> oh my gosh and like they redo the whole, like, what's Daphne's point for being on the team trope again. Yeah. Which seemed really lazy, and uh, you hated the the kind of, like, denouement of that arc, but I actually kind of liked it. We're like, Fred's like, you've always been the leader. And I'm like, oh, I think that's cute. I think that's sweet. Because what he said about her isn't, you can observe that in other Scooby-Doo media. So I don't think it comes out of nowhere. I don't think it's a cheat. Um, you seem to kind of think it was a cheat. You're just like, what? Don't retcon this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not- <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm fine with Daphne having a point in the team. I want her to be a developed character, but acting like she was always the leader just seems like a cop out to me because no, she fucking wasn't. Especially I in the old ones. Yeah. She was just a lifeless doll that kind of followed around the other. Velma was the smart one. Velma had, like, she was the one figuring out all the details. Fred set the traps. Fred was the one who, like, told the gang when to split up. And he was the one who did the big reveal. Shaggy and Scooby, they were the silly ones who were scared of everything. Daphne was just kind of there. Yeah, she was kind of the 
She was kind of proto-thirst. Yeah. <laughs> she was like um, the 60s equivalent of thirst. And I know she's developed more as the years have gone on, but like this sort of retconning of like, she's always been the leader. Like, no, if you want to make her the leader, then just acknowledge. Make her the leader. Yeah, just acknowledge yeah. that sh- that transition is happening in this. That's completely fair. And I can't really poke any holes in your in your perception of that. But I've seen enough more modern Scooby-Doo material where she is kind of the group mom where she like, she's the voice of reason. She's the one that kind of like calms everybody down, gives people, give, gives the rest of the gang perspective. So I've, I've seen enough of that in past Scooby-Doo media to accept Fred's like, you've always been the leader speech. Yeah. It kind of feels like a cop out. Kinda. I can see how you could see that, but I also, it worked for me personally. That's my that's my least thing of concern in this film <laughs> about the movie because <laughs> it's so this fucking weird. So weird. There's a character <laughs> who's like he's like uh, Coco's assistant named Esteban. I was just bring him up. Like everything of <laughs> he's just like this weird goth guy, and the movie goes so far out of its way to shit on him and everything he does. He's just trying to like make his own versions of costumes, and Coco just shits on him, being like. Oh, you're, you have no originality. It's all just freaking Dracula. And the like, mo- the like- movie, the movie constantly weaves in and out of this weird fuck. It, it can't pick a lane, which is like its biggest flaw, but also its biggest draw. Yeah, because because at times it feels like a generic Scooby Doo adventure where they're trying to figure out the mystery, and then it's suddenly something weird happens. And, and like, it just has this like weird subversive humor. There's a shot of that weird goth guy that just holds forever. He's just in his store. <laughs> it's just a wide shot of him in his store standing there still looking all sad and goth. They're trying to prove like, that like he's the villain <laughs> and they go back to like his video and it just shows him alone in the store. <laughs> Nobody coming in and they just keep going and and Keep the shot holds. When I mean the shot holds, like it's not like a five second shot. It's not a t- it's like a it's like a thirty second yeah, shot. Yeah, just keep going, showing how pitiful this dude is, and it's like, can we just lay off this weird goth dude? Like, why? Like it's 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 this fluid, just in and out of like kind of traditional Scooby Doo story, kind of subversive, weird edgy humor Scooby-Doo movie and it's it's and his, between that Tyler, Tyler, his ending I just remembered how his ending went oh god <laughs> zipper the- at the end Scooby and Shaggy get this great big mound of candy from him because he's like I can't really eat candy I don't remember what he says maybe he's a diabetic or something he's like I can't really eat candy so you guys can have it and Scooby and Shaggy are just like oh you're just a great big ray of sunshine under the, all that gloom and doom aren't you pal and he just unzips his face and he reveals like this golden haired surfer dude and he's like you're right I am a ray of sunshine goodbye and he just wanders off screen and that's the last we see of him no explanation as to how or why the whole movie is this weird disconnect it's just it's so odd just just reality breaks so many times like, and you're you're wondering if like did i fucking take acid a second ago and it just exactly. kicked in like what yeah, happened we're not i don't feel we're being hyperbolic <laughs> because <laughs> this movie really is just out there 
And like, I love that they blew up. It's safe for kids. Your kids can watch it. But there's just this underlying tone to the whole thing that's just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's nothing dirty or weird except maybe for Coco being the most sexualized thing I've seen in a hot minute. <laughs> that she threw me off every time she was on screen because <laughs> the animation budget like, went it's like, to God her damn Coco she, Diablo god damn she got the whole animation budget and they use it for thirst like every movement she does she swivels her head she like twists her wrist she sashays her hips it's just it's all so much and it's all so fluid <laughs> I would have loved to have seen this on the big screen. Like, there are so many Scooby Doo movies. Mm-hmm. They're they're like this, thirty plus. This maybe is the even thirty. Plus. This is the thirty seventh direct to video Scooby Doo film. So that says that yes, these movies are financially you know successful enough that Warner Brothers keeps producing them. It's a massive franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't we have gotten like a special theatrical like engagement for Trick or Treat Scooby Doo? Because this deserves to be seen on the big. I screen. wanted to hear some like forty year old mom being like, "What the fuck?" Like sitting next to her kids <laughs> in the know. theater. I know, and like the whole time I was waiting for the movie to actually get to like a tangible threat or, or a tangible conflict and it it doesn't really get there and like that's kind of the whole point of a scooby-doo story mm-hmm. you know <laughs> but like when when you about halfway through you kind of realize like there really isn't anything of in in, in real peril here it's just kind of the gang <laughs> figuring out their own shit and trying to like <laughs> Scooby and Shaggy are also just living their best lives without any mysteries and then this mystery yeah. pops up and they're just like can we please just go trick or treating and their Fred's like no just wanting to trick or treat their whole thing is just wanting to trick or treat that's why it's called trick or treat Scooby Doo because it takes place on Halloween and Scooby and Shaggy just want to trick or treat that's it <laughs> and the rest of the oh gang is just like no we have to solve this mystery <laughs> I need to I need to own this movie on Blu-ray. It is <laughs> fascinating. I need to get the Blu-ray for Trick or Treat Scooby Doo oh. and and watch it endlessly to like craft my like brilliant analytical thesis on what is going on. Because none of me, you, Erica, we did not expect it's, this hit us what like this a movie through freight us. train. I like that they just like sat there dumbfounded. We really the did. I like that they freaking blew up the mystery machine and then drove it around all destroyed. Starship Enterprise, like, I, dude, I unironically, unironically got fucking hyped when they like revamped the mystery. Machine. I was like, fuck yeah, this is badass. Yeah. And everybody kept shitting on that guy for no reason. What was his name, Trevor? They're like, your designs suck. We hate you, Trevor. Your designs suck. And like, he was just a dude. No, it's like this awesome badass, like Gothmobile. He he makes it's like the monster mobile. I kind of want this. It's like yeah, I kind of want this to be the new mystery machine. Like this is awesome. It has like a candelabra on the front of it. It's purple and black. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. One of the best films of the year. <laughs> Scooby Doo. It's wild. It's just a wild. Uh, 
<laughs> I did not expect our Rise of the Guardians review to. Uh, you know, last, <laughs> last year we had to have a transition between Halloween and Christmas. This is our transition between Halloween and Christmas. Is oh. our mashup, and the fact that like it ends with all of the old villains getting out and then like the Scooby gang puts on their costumes and basically has basically has like a superhero ending where they're yeah. just like running around yeah. using superpowers to catch everybody. I like how all the villains too just immediately go to stealing candy from candy children. From children. <laughs> like they're all that petty. <laughs> oh God, the Scooby Doo from Chinese. Oh I love Scooby like I can't say I'm an expert. No. Um, I haven't seen every Scooby-Doo movie that's ever been made. But I've been a more than casual fan of Scooby-Doo my entire life. I just... <laughs> it's a staple of animation. And this movie... I, like it, I can't believe over 50 years of this franchise and it still manages to, to, to surprise me. To throw you, you off. <laughs> yeah, to throw me off. Uh, um, well, Tyler... Is it horny? It's <laughs> just trick or treat Scooby Doo. Fuck yeah, it's <laughs> horny. Because not only does um, Coco Diablo pretty much, she's pretty much the sexiest animated character since I don't know when. Probably since, since Judy Hopps. Probably since <laughs> I was going to say since Chell from the Road to El Dorado. With I know, but I wanted to get a fucking non-human character in there for the lols. <laughs> but I was, yeah, but Chell, yeah, she's very much Chell inspired. She's very Chell inspired. Yeah, what was that? Shit, I lost my train of thought. Oh, it's, is it horny? Yes, not only is Coco Diablo, like, insanely sexually coded, so is so is Daphne. Like, Daphne is, like, this ins- crazy hourglass figure, like, even more than usual. Mm-hmm. Where, um, regular, you know, pretty redhead face, and then she's got the popping titties, and then, like, the... <laughs> cinched waist and then these huge fucking childbearing hips and thighs <laughs> and uh, Velma's also got damn thighs though mm-hmm. like <laughs> she thick she thick in the best way I think they're priming everyone for the new Velma yeah. series I guess I've always been partial to Velma so I'm just like hmm, God damn Velma yeah get it <laughs> so it's definitely horny oh. it's definitely horny I just can't wait for the they need to be brave and they need to overtly sexualize Shaggy. Because I, to my knowledge, they haven't overtly sexualized Shaggy yet. And uh, that needs to happen. I, I kind of like Shaggy just being his own dude. Yeah, just, just kind of being, yeah. I, li- I like Shaggy as an ace icon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, isn't that like a, isn't that like a thing where like, is is that like a big, f- like a fan embrace theory? Or did like somebody know. at some point actually confirm? Because I, I heard that like Shaggy's ace. I've heard that before. I I'm, I'm not sure I just, where it came from. I was just kind of bringing it up because he kind of feels like one to me. I remember in Mystery Incorporated where he was with Velma, it always kind of felt weird. And I was like, I don't know. These characters, you know, they're good friends. I don't know why this is weird. It's kind of just like, yeah, I think it's just kind of Shaggy doesn't feel like he needs to be sexualized. Shaggy's just Shaggy doing his own thing. It's not really what he cares about. He just likes hanging out yeah. with his dog and <laughs> eating shit. Well, I mean, there's different ways to sexualize a character. Um, you could sexualize Shaggy without making him a sexual being, you know? He could just be really fucking hot. Yeah, you can, obje- you know? you can objectify Shaggy. <laughs> yeah, you can objectify Shaggy. <laughs> hey, objectification is not inherently a bad thing. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay, okay, there's our hot take to end on this Christmas episode. <laughs> 
People like looking at other hot people. <laughs> no, I'm for equal opportunity objectification. That's you know that's 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 what I'm. That's what I'll leave. That's at. Fair. equal opportunity objectification. Ah, well, uh, well, this has been our Rise of the Guardians review to kick off Doug and Chew. This is a weird one, and I I think it's gonna be. This is a gonna good be one. a. <laughs> this is gonna be a. I think I'm gonna put it out. This is gonna be an all timer for tongue and geek. Really? Think so? Yes. It's definitely one, one of so. one of our most rambly ones. I don't think we really had like a, <laughs> anything to go off of with this one. I didn't know what to expect because, like, I know you liked this movie for you to put it on the list for this year. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how much. It, so I wasn't. I was expecting how you were gonna react, and I said I don't think I like the movie that much. I, I'm so, not. Um, you know what's weird is the first time I saw this was when I was senior year of high school. I went on a cruise, and I got super duper freaking sunburnt one day. Like I <laughs> slept in the sun and woke up and like, oh no! Of course you did. And like the whole next day, I had to basically just lay in bed and do nothing because I was so sunburnt and I couldn't move without hurting myself. Uh, and the movie they had on the cruise that was free was rise of the guardians so i basically watched that on loop for a day (laughs) the first time i saw this movie was just rise of the guardians over and over and over again i was like well i guess i know this movie backwards and forwards now (laughs) i hate that i understand that feeling (laughs) because when i was on my one cruise that i've been on Mm -hmm. the cgi children the film that was on loop during our cruise was a far inferior film by the name of the dinosaur oh no <laughs> yeah yes. i'll take the i'll take the rise of the guardians over that any day <laughs> so yeah you you lucked out on that didn't i warn you beforehand how bad that movie was and then you guys went on that cruise like immediately after <laughs> it was around about the same time i think yeah. i think i saw it in theaters i'm like, like man it shows i was like man it's not like we knew <laughs> I know, but I remember being like, oh, man, that movie sucks. And then you guys went on that cruise and you come back and you're like, we were stuck with the good dinosaur forever. There's like three to four movies that were on a loop Mm -hmm. on the cruise television and none of them were good. (laughs) (laughs) So we couldn't like we couldn't pick like a (laughs) mediocre movie to just. Mm-hmm. have on a loop it was all bunch it was just all shit <laughs> like and we had to pick the least smelliest shit Let, let's just go ahead and put out our good dinosaur review bad it's bad it's stupid bad movie dumb. not good um good background interesting it, yeah interesting uh background animation choices but other than that it's possibly the worst pixar movie i i don't i haven't i don't remember cars 2 that seems yeah. to be the pick for worst Pixar movie. Yeah. But, uh, Cars 2, I feel, is like more as entertaining, at least, with its absurdity. Anyway, <clears throat> that's it for anyway. our Rise of the Guardians <laughs> review. Wait, no. That's not it. That's not it. I have uh, one more thing to say. Okay. Um, in I haven't seen the film yet. Okay. But in Wakanda Forever, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, they CGI'd Namor's dick out of the film. What? They CGI'd his bulge. What? Out of the film. What? Yes. Why? Yes. Like, okay. Okay. <laughs> it, you're you're, you're going to have to clarify. Out there is it- <laughs> you're going to have to clarify. Did he have a dick slip that they didn't catch until post-production <laughs> that they had to take out? Or was his big swinging cock just so obvious <laughs> beneath his costume that they had to reduce it with CGI? The second. Okay. If anybody, if anybody knows anything about Namor the Submariner... Um, he's basically the most nude Marvel character in in comics history. All he is is a speedo 
and little white wings mm-hmm. on his feet. Ooh. And they're pretty close to that in the new Black Panther movie. Um, props to them. But um, the actor who plays him, I want to get his name right, so let me Google it real quick. Tanakwerta? Tanakwerta. Tanakwerta. His, uh, his package um, was, I guess, a bit too distracting in those tight green Speedos. <laughs> so in the film, they had to CGI sand off his bulge. Uh. Give us the bu- yes. release the bulge cut. <laughs> release the bulge cut. The bulge cut Marvel. Stop being cowards, Marvel. <laughs> release a Namor bulge. A Namor the Submariner bulge is true to the character because he is a cocky, arrogant asshole. So his penis being front and center is only true to the character. Big dick energy. Come on, Disney. Big dick energy. Stop making things less horny, Disney. Make things more horny. You have this giant cinematic universe, which is the most popular franchise in the world, filled with beautiful people. Some of it needs and to be none porn. Of them, Some of it needs to be And porn. none of them are horny. <laughs> like, none of them are doing it. Oh, uh, boy. Marvel Cinematic Universe, get hornier. That's all I'm asking. So, t- so t- thank you for listening to Tongue and Cheer. <laughs> Interesting start for the holiday season. <laughs> Join us next time. <laughs> Whatever the fuck next is on the schedule. Uh, Probably Arthur Christmas. Yeah, remember, don't throw your baby in the trash. <laughs> and don't send off Namor's bulge. <laughs> good, good night. <laughs> Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. <laughs>